This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Right now, based on uh, you know the common denominators, uh, the similarities of the victims, where they were dumped, the dismemberment, uh, you know, it looks like one person. Uh, you know, again, that leads to the theory that it's one person using this area as a dumping ground. We are here today to announce that all four women whose remains were discovered in Gilgo Beach last month have been positively identified. The victims are Maureen Brainard Barnes of Norwich, Connecticut, 25 years old, last seen in July 2007 in New York City. Melissa Bartellamy of the Bronx, New York, 24 years old, last seen in July 2009 in the Bronx. Amber Lynn Costello of North Babylon, New York, 27 years old, last seen in September 2010 in North Babylon and previously announced Megan Waterman of Scarborough, Maine, 22 years old, last seen in June 2010 in Hophog, New York. Uh, it does appear to us at this time that the same person or persons are uh, responsible for all of these murders. They were killed in another location and their remains were transported to uh, the Gilgo Beach area that you see over there. Uh, all of them were self-employed in the escort business. This morning, police are pouring through potential evidence they've collected from the Long Island home of Rex Hureman. Box after box removed from the crime scene. The architect and father of two has pleaded not guilty to murdering three young women over a decade ago. And now NBC News has learned that investigators in other states are looking into potential connections to more crimes. In Las Vegas, police say they may reopen some unsolved murder cases since Sherman owns a condo there. In Atlantic City, New Jersey, authorities are taking another look at the unsolved eastbound strangler case from 2006, when the bodies of four women who worked in the sex trade were discovered in a drainage ditch. And in Rock Hill, South Carolina, police are probing if there's any connection to a young woman who vanished there in 2014. NBC News has reached out to Hearman's attorney regarding these cases, but no response. All this as Hearman sits in jail, held without bond. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed? I am once again joined by the legend himself. That's one Nick Edwards of 
the True Crime Garage podcast. He's been a guest on this show many times. You are familiar with his work. He has a new book on the market. He also is just killing it in the podcast world. Welcome back to the show, Nick. Hey, thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me on again. And it's always great to be talking true crime with you and your wonderful audience. Thank you, sir. It has been a pleasure. And your uh, your new book, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, the Delphi Murders, The Quest to Find the Man on the Bridge, available in paperback, hardback, Kindle, Audible. Um, the great Kevin Pierce did the, the narration for the Audible book. So if you want something great to listen to, I highly recommend it, of course. And you can pick that up on Amazon. Just search my name, NIC Edwards, or the Delphi Murders. And that case slowly working its way through the court system thankfully that, that you know now that there was an arrest late last late last year and here we are finally with an arrest in the Long Island serial killer case and that case starting to work its way into the court system as well yeah Rex Hoerman Howerman Herman whatever you want to call him he uh actually had his first court appearance this week and uh Yeah, Gilgo Beach, that has been a case that has been on my radar for a long time, and I think it's been on the radar for a lot of people in this industry, and people that live in the community, obviously, when you find uh, more than 10 bodies, when you're looking for a missing person, things are going to become a little weird, and Mm -hmm. uh, the Gilgo Beach mystery has been just that basically for a dozen years and uh Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on uh this arrest and the police work that went into getting this guy's uh dna and finally putting the cuffs on him the judge said his name because in in my opinion that's all that really matters right how the judge says this monster's name so rex has been charged with three homicides and they have named him as the prime suspect in a fourth homicide. So that is the four, the Gilgo four, as they are referred to the victims. So he's directly being charged with two of those or three of those homicides, excuse me. And the fourth one, he used her cell phone to contact some of the other victims. So we know that he's directly tied to it. It's just, I. it doesn't sound like they have the DNA evidence in that case that they need, but they're going to have a circumstantial case against Rex in that fourth homicide as well. You hold that back, you charge him with these three and see how it goes. And so now we, with now that his name is known to all of us, it makes sense. We talked about the belt evidence before the, the WH or the HW. And now we know that it was, in fact, the WH initials on that belt. I've been told that that may have been his grandfather. Uh, I did a little background check on Rex and could not find anybody in his immediate family. But I didn't go back an additional generation. So uh, not the name of his father and not his name, obviously. But um, so he's been charged and he's not talking, which is a little surprising to me. He kind of strikes me from, from, and, and look, I say strikes me, but it's more 
looking at the crimes and, and what what he's charged with, right? And how they found him. This to me, he strikes me as somebody that would want credit for some of this and that, that may think that he's one of these cats that's smarter than the rest of us. And that's why he went so went undetected for so long. And so I wonder how long it will take until we see a flip until we see him be more Dennis Rader like and and stand up there and tell, I mean, it only took Dennis Rader a couple of hours, right? Like two and a half hours. He's like, yeah, I'm ready to tell you everything I did because Look, some of these sickos they treat it like like it's a like it's a baseball game. And and Dennis Rader thought that he hit for the cycle and he wants to tell you all about it. Now, yeah, it's like the main event. So like right. they've been building building up to this and they've got all this stuff inside of them and they want to talk about it and yeah. Dennis Rader was Rex couldn't talk about it for all this time. You know, wife, two children, at home, he can't share that information with them. He can't share the information with his friends and colleagues, obviously. We know based off of the documents that have come out of Suffolk County that they were, um, that he was searching and doing internet searches of the Long Island serial killer. So he was very active in following his own case and following the investigation. Yeah, you know, the paper trail, digital trail is very interesting when it comes to that kind of stuff, because the way investigators can go back and kind of do a forensic analysis of your computer and your searches and all that stuff, it really becomes interesting. Again, like we always joke as true crime podcasters, you know, let's hope we never get in trouble because if they search our search history, then we're probably going to be in the jackpot too. But uh, yeah, when you're looking up your case and specifically this case and it's only what did they say? Two and a half miles or four miles, two and a half to four miles from his home. I mean, that's just, you know, and he, he drove by that area like every day, you know, that was like his trophy. What do they call that? Like his, um, I mean, it's like a killing field, but it's also like he's laying out his trophies and he gets to see. Well, it's also a really great way for him to keep up to date on what's happening with his case. Remember, in, in when Shannon Gilbert goes missing, nobody knew that we even had these bodies. You know, these people's, these young women, their family members knew that they were missing and in some cases had difficulty reporting them as missing. And it, look, it doesn't seem like there was much of an investigation going on to into these missing persons cases and no way for law enforcement to realize that they're going to find four of the bodies all on the same stretch of road and then uh, then several more bodies nearby. There's no way for law enforcement to know that when these missing persons reports are being filed. But you're exactly right, Bill. This is a way for Rex to drive when he's out driving to and from work, when he's on his commute, when he's out uh, driving for, for leisure maybe. He's going to cruise by these sites. He's going to see if from from a distance, he's going to check to see if these spots have been disturbed in any manner or has anything been found. He's going to be checking the news because guess what? He doesn't need to worry that anybody's coming for him until they start finding these bodies because the only evidence that, that would lead them to him eventually, even though it took all this time, is going to start with the recovery of those remains. 
Let's talk about that for a second. Let's go back to the original case and how this all transpired. You mentioned Gilbert, and she had been on a a date of, you know, she was a sex worker, and she was running around the neighborhood screaming and yelling that somebody was chasing her, and nobody helped her, and then she disappeared, and so they put out a search for her, and that is when they stumbled across these bodies and then continued to find bodies. My question is, do you feel like there is a connection to these other bodies other than the Gilgo Beach Four? I think that it would be very difficult for many people to say, yes, that there's no connection from these these other sets of remains to the Gilgo Four. I think it would be very difficult for people to say, nope, not connected. But one thing we need to keep in mind, too, and there's no nice way to say this, not a bad area to hide a body, right? Um, They did go undetected for so long for for a reason. Um, So I I sit here and I don't know. I do think that some of those other remains are, are very linked to the Gilgo Four. I think it's very hard to sit here and to to kind of parse it out and figure out which ones would be connected and which ones would not be connected. The The big mystery for me, Bill, is the Shannon Gilbert part. Sure. Right? Because it, she's she's how we found these bodies to begin with. And she's hired for this party. And we've been able to review some of the things that went down or may or may not have gone down at that party. But in the end, we know she runs from the home. She flees the home. And... Uh, Joe Brewer, who was the the host of the party, uh, he has a few few of his colleagues or friends over for this this wild night of drinking and and who knows what else debauchery. I would love to know, and I would have to believe that he did. But again, we saw the flaws early on in this investigation. Did Brewer provide a good list? that was vetted of the people of the persons that were there that night at his party. Um, if, if old, mm-hmm. if old Rex is one of those individuals, then we have a whole different set of circumstances on our hands and think about how much Dr. Peter Hackett, how much, uh, flack that guy was taken during the case. And, and, but, but then you sit there and you go, well, if there's more than one serial killer that was, placing bodies in this area does that still leave that door open he was very weird in his interaction with the gilbert family after shannon goes missing and then we we also know based explain a little bit of that please because there's a lot of people in the audience that don't know what this what you're referring to and it is bizarre so dr peter hackett is he's a man that at one point in his life was intelligent enough to get a PhD. Um, but he, he then presents himself to the Gilbert family and says, I, I was assisting your daughter. I was helping your daughter, Shannon, uh, try to overcome her demons, right? The, uh, substance abuse and beat addiction and things like that. I was treating your daughter and, that seemed very strange because they end up finding her remains in that swamp like area and which is not terribly far from his residence, his neighborhood and, and his neighborhood's very close to where all this 
where they were recovering these other bodies as well. And the, um, Robert Coker, who wrote uh, The Lost Girls, has a very interesting theory. And I, I, I don't know that I should present it as his theory or if it's more of people in the area's theory. But the, it has to do with they were draining some of that swampland and then Dr. Peter Hackett starts behaving oddly after that, almost like, oh, no, my my secret's about to be discovered. They're about to discover all these bodies that I've placed nearby. Um, so if, if anybody has not read that book and they're fascinated by this case, even though a lot of that information in there may have nothing to do with Rex, with the, with the current suspect that we have locked up right now and, and facing charges, that's a must read for anybody out there. But... It's a great book. It's, it's fantastic. Book. And then, uh, so Peter Hackett, he says to the Gilbert family, you know, oh, I was treating your daughter. And then she, of course, turns up dead and, uh, under, I don't care what law enforcement agencies' opinions are on this matter. Very <laughs> suspicious cir- circumstances, right? Can we just be human beings and agree for a moment that it's very suspicious that she goes fleeing from this house, calls 911, on the call, she says, they're trying to kill me. They're going to kill me. It, it's not every day that somebody calls 911 and says someone's trying to kill me, and then, boom, they end up dead. I mean, the, so more further investigation needs to be done into that case. And and let's push Peter Hackett aside because it's looking like he's not involved in anything at this point uh, mm-hmm. other than making some very bad decisions of – of presenting himself. There's no way bill. There's he inserted himself into the case. Thank you. Unnecessarily. And, and, and tried to be, I don't know, like some kind of angel in the matter. Like, Oh, I was trying to help this troubled, uh, young lady, but we know that that cannot be true. Like there's no way that that is true. No, he's making up stories. It's, it's, exactly. it's, it's, it's really weird. You you see this. I mean, it's again. We've talked to law enforcement officers. We know what detectives say. You know, like people make false confessions. People make up lies. People make up all sorts of things about how they're involved. And sometimes people just want to be involved. But then again, there's also the the people that want to be involved, so they know what's going on in the case. And in this particular case, he just. Even if he has nothing to do with it, he's shady. And it, that goes back to the party party at Brewer's house, right? And so we know that when Shannon flees the house, that she ends up uh, knocking on the door. I believe the guy's name was Gus Coletti. Uh, this old man opens up the door. He says she's frantic. And then he says that he sees a dark uh, black SUV that heads down their road. Sh- Shannon sees the dark SUV and she decides to take off and, and to conceal herself elsewhere. Now, keep in mind, it could be the drugs. It could be whatever was going on at Brewer's house or a combination of the both that made this young woman scared to death. And so by this point, she's not trusting Gus Coletti or anybody. And so she flees, she flees. And then what will happen later, Bill, is Peter Hackett then comes forward months and months later and says, she knocked on my door that night and I was treating her for obvious drug abuse. And there, there's no way that that happened. And then she ends up, her remains end up being found near a swamp unless, unless he did something to that poor girl. 
and then they rule it a drowning. Yeah, it's it, and and so there's a lot of confusion in this case, and so I think you, you what you have to do is you have to start to separate some of these things. You got to be able to compartmentalize what you do know and what you don't know. And what we do know is based off of the I don't know what was it fifty five pages. Uh, 55 pages of documents that that New York released on on the current suspect Rex Howerman that uh, here here's the evidence that we've collected against this guy. I reviewed it that that document more than once, and I've got to tell you, Bill, the guy looks if he's not guilty, I don't know how you get a conviction against anybody uh, because it, it's very damning evidence against this guy. And then on top of that, that's only three of the victims prime suspect in the fourth. And and we know why, because he's using her cell phone after she is believed to have been missing, abducted and killed and using that to that her cell phone to communicate with these other future victims. So for those that have not reviewed those documents, they what they did was they they used this sec- cell phone technology to not only ping the cell phones to figure out where they were and the activity on those cell phones but they cross-referenced them so look at it this way for those who the the most simple way to break down those documents and the evidence against him and his his MO for what he was doing to procure these victims is he basically used a burner phone to contact the the first of the Gilgo four. And then after that, he's now acquired the cell phone of the woman that he's killed. And he's using that cell phone to uh, make communications with future victims. And then when he gets another victim, he's then using her cell phone to communicate and set up appointments or dates with future victims. And so that's that's where they can easily build a case against this guy and then top that off by going, okay, well, when the times when those phones were in use after we believe these women to have been dead, the cell phone is being used in the general location of his work and the general location of his home. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's kind of clear as day, like you said, if they don't have enough, if they don't have enough evidence out of all the stuff that they've searched, the DNA, like the hairs from his wife, which is creepy and awful for her, that ends up in the tape that is on three of the victims. That is insane. And let's just, you know, we haven't really said any of the victims names and that's one of the kind of the unfair to the victims and you know that's Amberlyn Costello and that's Melissa Bartholomew and then Maureen Brainerd Barnes and Megan Waterman now which is the one that he is not necessarily connected to is it the Waterman case or is it I think it's Bernard Barnes um okay and and, in that one it's it seems like the evidence that they have in in that situation is different than the evidence they have in the other three victims uh, and, and that probably goes back to DNA because we do know that they were they were tracking this guy once they honed in on him. They're surveilling this dude, following him around and waiting for him to. Basically, to, to deposit his DNA on something and then discard that item. 
uh, because once once something is trash, it's it's uh, one man's trash is another man's evidence. And he, here here he, uh, he he gets a little uh, a pizza. He, he he he's eating this pizza and he throws it away in a public trash can. And they're able to pull his DNA from the the pizza crust, from the napkins, from you know anything that would be in that box. They were testing and testing anything in that pizza box to try to pull his DNA. And then once they have that, they're comparing that profile that they just pulled from the profile that they pulled from some of the from some of the Gilgo Four victims. I was wondering if you have an opinion on this. And I, I noticed that uh, BTK's daughter, I know that she probably hates being considered that, but she's very yeah, I think uh, at some point maybe social. we say we should say her name too if we were going to Carrie. go. Carrie. Yeah, her name's Carrie. Carrie and uh, Carrie. And she's she's always on top of these cases. And she said that there are a lot of similarities between Yes, this guy and her father, and then BTK comes out. I don't know how he has a, like a platform or whatever, but somehow he gets information out of jail that says, "Yeah, this guy is exactly like I was," and that's where the interesting part where he isn't talking comes into play. Where like you had mentioned, you know, he hasn't said anything. You think he would want to be acknowledged for? He, this at this point he will at some point i i because because the ever yeah you're right he's gonna realize that there's no out you know there is no denying what you've done because there's evidence out the wazoo and you're gonna eventually want to take credit for it i think that's just kind of the psychological makeup of these individuals unless he cannot bring himself to admit to it because he has children or he has people that he thinks that he loves Right. And so I, I want to really hone in on, on that statement that I just gave right there for a second. People that he thinks that he loves this person, that, that a person capable of doing what he did is not built like me and you not built like 99.9% of the people walking around on this big blue marble. Thank God. He may think that he can love and care for individuals. He cannot, he does not possess that ability, right? Like, so when, when let's keep, stay on this BTK thing for a minute, because I do think that when you want to give a, a, a comp, uh, for, for a well-known serial killer, uh, whose cases have been adjudicated and has been locked up and studied for years, he seems to fit Rex and, and Dennis Rader seem to fit a similar mold. They are family men. Uh, Dennis Rader appears to have been much more involved in his community than maybe Rex was. Um, but, you know, they're family men. Oddly enough, they both both appear to have two children and had been married for a very long time, live in a very average-looking home in a very average-looking neighborhood. Um, but another another book recommendation here uh, is Catherine, Catherine Ramsland's uh Confession of a Serial Killer. Now, this is a book that she wrote with the help of Dennis Rader. And when this came out, I got to be honest, I do this. I do this with typically with Dahmer, Bundy, Gacy, and and now Dennis Rader has fallen into the same uh, group of people. But these guys have all had multiple books written about them and there'll probably be more books written about them in the future. So when I saw this book, confessions of a serial come out, serial killer come out, I very much enjoy and respect 
Catherine Ramsland. So that intrigued me and made me want to read it. But at the same time, it's just like, whoa, another BTK book. Do we really do we really need this? I've I've read two or three really good ones. And Mm -hmm. so I decided to pick it up just because I was in, in a down period of not having anything of interest to read. And the book is fascinating. So what she does is she corresponds with Dennis Rader who is, as we know, is very happy to talk. She corresponds with him for five years. And then she writes this book based off of their correspondence. And a lot of it is Dennis Rader in his own words. And then she gives kind of like a, she kind of analyzes what she says and breaks it down at parts during the, throughout the course of the book. And Dennis Rader clearly had a very high opinion of himself and his crimes. Now, the part in the book where he talks about, he he doesn't see, he, he doesn't, he clearly has no remorse for what he's done. And he doesn't have any sympathy for the victims. And he has child victims. And Rex may have a child victim too. Remember, we have the unidentified uh, baby. Uh, maybe even a toddler. I don't have, I don't, I apologize, Bill. I don't have the age in front of me, but there's unidentified, uh, young child and the unidentified, um, mother, right? The, the, uh, one of the, one of the female victims is still unidentified. I think there might even be two that are unidentified. Plus we have the unidentified male now. So Rex may have a child victim as well. And, Dennis Rader, he did express to Kathleen Ramsland his regret for putting his family through this and how he hurt his family and how the the only thing that made him not want to get caught was that he would have to stop killing, which was the thing he loved the most, and what it would do to his children and to his wife. And he says the reason why is because he did truly love his daughter. He did truly love his son and he did truly love his, his wife. And maybe his daughter will hear this because we know she stays very much on top of this. And I do follow her on Twitter uh, and I recommend other people follow her as well. And I apologize if this is hurtful to her, but he did not love his wife. He did not love his children. Okay. And I, I don't have a degree on the wall that tells me that I'm allowed to give that, that analysis. But what I can say here is every time that he stepped outside of his home and he chose to go out and troll for a victim and chose to go out and murder innocent people, murder innocent children, he committed those crimes against those people, against their families and against his own family. And that, that is, those are the lost victims in these scenarios. And now we're seeing this play out with Rex's wife and his two adult children as well. They're being hounded by the the media, which I think that it looks like that's backed off a little bit. Like that's tapered off a little bit. Um, And maybe, maybe this is a good thing that it seems I was, I was shocked and I would, I would rather be, I would rather be surprised than right. I always say that. And what was surprising to me, Bill, was how quickly the masses seemed to go, you know what? This poor woman and these two adult children, 
They had no clue what Rex was up to. They had no clue what kind of monster. This guy hid it from the police and from the public, from his colleagues and from his family so well for all of these years. They're blindsided by all of this too. And it looked like the masses did something that I've not seen happen uh, in any other case, where very quickly that realization was made, that understanding was made. And now there's some compassion for these people too, for, for his wife who very quickly filed for divorce and the two adult children. And I'm, I'm very proud of all of us for, for showing that compassion to these people because they are the lost victims in this scenario. And, and you, you would hope in it, I don't think it played out that way with BTK and his family immediately. I think that was kind of slow. We were kind of slow to get to that, but um, yeah, you, I mean, you, you feel for these, these individuals as well. And it's, it's a weird scenario because you have all the victims that you named, they were victimized 10, 12 years ago. Their families victimized 10, 12 years ago. They've been searching for answers for all of this time. Finding Rex, finding the killer does not bring back their loved one. Unfortunately, I wish that that's the way that it worked, but it doesn't now. No. They do have some reasons to be happy and to have, and to rejoice because finally the killer is discovered. Finally, we're going to start getting justice for these, these wonderful young women that had their whole lives ahead of them. So there is, there is that element to it. But then the flip side of that coin is the shock and the immediate impact and pain that it delivers to this this woman, this mother, this wife, and her two grown children all at the same time. I think we are hopefully at a turning point in that regard. I mean, the exploitation of the families has always been a big problem for me as somebody that started in the media. And, you know... I remember talking to reporters when I first started and the idea of showing up at somebody's door and knocking on it and asking them about their worst possible situation that they could fathom just kind of made me cringe. Mm -hmm. It just was something that I did not want to be a part of. I've gone, you know, I've obviously I've interviewed family members and victims of these types of cases since then. And it is very difficult and you do have to thread the needle. But the idea that these people are banging on your door and, you know, those people that are like, if it bleeds, it leads that type of reporter. Oh, those just people just turn my stomach because of the fact that it's basically just exploiting these people that had no idea that they were living with this monster that you said that, I mean, again, you said it, they didn't know. It's like, what are we going to get out of talking to them other than ruining more of their lives? Like, let's just leave them alone. And I hope that continues because <sighs> I know people want to, maybe people wanted to think like, oh, maybe she was involved because her hair was there. But then the police were like, listen, she was out of town when these cases happened and she's not involved. So I think that's another reason why people are no, kind she, of. I mean, clearly not. I mean, they have 
evidence that backs up and suggests that uh, she was either out of the country or out of town, out of the state at the time when a lot of this happened. And we can base that off of uh, all off of cell phone technology, Rex's cell phone, the victim's cell phones and the the wife, the soon to be ex-wife's cell phone as well. Yes. I want to like kind of discuss what the hell has he been doing for the last 12 years? Did he do a Dennis Raider? Did he, did he get scared or did he just lose the passion or what? What do you think? I I think that, look, there's no doubt that some of these guys can age out of the violence. Um, But I don't think that that's what happened here. I think it's like what you said with Dennis Raider uh, where that appears. And I, I don't think Dennis Raider would ever admit this. Uh, he comes close to admitting it at times with different cases in that Confessions of a Serial Killer book. But it, because they have such an ego of themselves, I don't think that, that they will admit, oh, I got scared off from what I do. They, they, they would rather tell you, Bill, that no, I do it so well, it doesn't matter what the, what the cops do. Uh, Dennis Rader, it's like, I'm going to write my own book about myself being a serial killer and send it to the to the police and to the media. Uh, I mean, come on, dude. And so I think, and I'm going to ask if, if it's, it, if it's able to be right, traced, can you trace a floppy disk. <laughs> I hate the laugh, but just, I'm sorry. Right. Either send the, the floppy disk or, or don't send it. Don't ask if you can trace it. That seems like, anyway, I think absolutely. You're right. I think Rex got scared off. I think they started finding the victims And now there's an investigation and there's multiple agencies involved, FBI included. And I think he got scared off. And I I think Dennis Rader at some point got scared off and and he would take these long breaks. And and who's to say, I bet you Rex would have done the same thing. He would have gone back to it eventually. He would eventually have been believed that he was he was out of the woods that, oh, they'll never trace this to me. And I got to get back to doing what I do. And there was some talk about him um, possibly retiring soon. And if he was were to retire, that he might move down to... There was talk of him moving to South Carolina. Now, I don't know if that was just... Yeah, I did hear that. I don't know if that was bad information because I believe his brother lives in South Carolina or he has extended family in South Carolina. So that could just be bad information. But let's, let's for a second explore it as good information. If... This, this serial killer were to retire from his job and move elsewhere, dude, as soon as he got across state lines, he's going to start picking up where he left off. No doubt in my mind. And his real keys. Yeah, and when, and when we go back, go back further in time, too, to a serial killer that's fascinated the United States like no other, the Zodiac Killer, I really believe that he got scared off as well. And, and, and he may have relocated and started up elsewhere or, you know, some of these guys, Dennis Rader told us about this. And if you, re- if you really dive into Gary Ridgeway, the Green River Killer, you will see the same example with him too. And this is a good thing for all of us, but they will tell you sometimes life gets in the way, right? We all have our passions and we all we all have used that expression. Oh, well, you it's been a long time since you worked on that that car that you've been restoring there, Bill. What what what's kept you? Oh, life got in the way. You know, I got busy with work, I got busy with family, I got busy with other things. And life got in the way. And so I think it's a 
uh, less of a life got in the way situation, but for for those three in particular, I think they got they got scared, uh, and I think Rex was scared. And what I'm very happy to see is there were times that I was convinced that there was not much of an investigation going on in this case, and here now that the the uh, the curtain has been fully opened. Uh, we, we see that, no, they never stopped investigating this case. And in fact, really in the last two years or so is when the investigation ramped up. It almost seems like they were doing more work on it in the last two years than they did when they first started finding the victims. And you know why I think that is, Bill? I think it was in, be- in more capable hands. I think so, too. I was going to ask you, James Burke, you know, the, the classy guy that 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 he was running the uh, police you know he was the chief of police and he got put in jail for beating a guy who had he beat a guy with a bag of sex toys i believe and uh yeah ended up going to jail so he's uh he, he was the guy that was in charge of the police at that time for a lot of that time and i do think that he was a deviant of his own cuz he also was connected to sex workers and there was rumors i mean i had uh maggie on uh freeling uh, a couple years ago and she that was her number one suspect in her mind you know that the police chief had something to do with it or that he was stalling the investigation you know again we still have other bodies that haven't been connected to this guy rex and we have other people that are still suspect. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? What do you think about that guy? I mean, James Burke. That guy was a piece of work. Yeah. I mean, yes, definitely a piece of work. And from my understanding, he he's he he's been locked up due to charges of of beating a guy that escaped. Didn't the guy escape from his patrol car from his cop car? And the the guy or broke into his vehicle and stole pornography and sex toys from the vehicle something of that nature and so he beats the guy stole his sex toy yes yes james burke yes stole from from his uh police vehicle yeah that was stored in his his uh police vehicle but now keep in mind on top of that though too before that we had uh commissioner dormer who i think was the commissioner of of suffolk county at the time and uh he he was kind of the face of the investigation as well but he he was a very older gentleman and and i he he already had plans like filed the paperwork and everything to retire and then they find the gilgo four and he's like oh god i got this you know this nationwide case now all of a sudden on my shoulders and i had already planned to retire so who knows how invested they were during that. And then it's handed over to Burke at some point. There's all the problems that you point out. And you're, that's just the tip of the iceberg with the, with the problems with Burke and his administration and regime. I mean, and I think, look, I, I, I don't think he makes a good suspect. No, but what I think we have here is, uh, and, and I would have said that before there was an arrest in the case. But what I think you have here is you you have a guy that you know is up to no good, one of the highest ranking police officials in the area. And I think Maggie's spot on that he was was delaying the investigation or or very likely preventing other 
agencies, more intelligent agencies, more capable agencies of coming in and reviewing the case because he did not want them to stumble onto what he was up to uh, and, and, and all the laws that he and some of his underlings were were breaking at the time. So, yeah, I I got very. Um, my confidence level in this whole investigation changed when we had the and, and, and I I failed to have her name right here in front of me, Bill. But when when the new regime took over and it was a, a former uh, FBI uh, agent that, that came in and was the commissioner or the chief of police in the area for a period of time. And I believe she was the one responsible for this gilgonews.com website that, that started. And what we see once she took over and the current commissioner is uh, Rodney K. Harrison, but once we see with these new regimes that come in is a huge shift in the investigation, the way that it's being worked, the intelligence level of the way that it's being investigated. And we know the result. We get the result of finally having somebody in handcuffs, a face, a name, and somebody that has to stand in front of a judge. Hey, Nick, thanks so much again for joining me on part one of the Gilgo Beach monster, serial killer, whatever you want to call him. And uh, we will be right back with part two. So thanks again, Nick. Thank you, Bill. Thanks again to Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast for taking time out of his wildly busy schedule. He is now a published author with the book Delphi, The Quest for the Man on the Bridge. Check that out wherever you get your favorite uh, books, and you can get that on Amazon, Audible, and uh, pretty much anywhere else. So again, check out their podcast, True Crime Garage, if you haven't already. It's amazing. Nick is always a great guest. He brings tons of knowledge to the show, and it's very appreciated. I know that uh, a lot of people enjoy having him on as much as I do. So again, thanks again. And thank you for tuning in. And uh, as you know, I drop new episodes every Friday. And this is part one. Part two will be coming up in just a few minutes. So stay tuned. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or X or whatever the hell Elon Musk is calling it these days, let's uh, do that at Bill Huffman 3. So as always, until next time, stay healthy and be safe. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. 
I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.